The Elk Talk podcast is brought to you by the Rocky Mountain Elk Foundation, ensuring the future of elk, other wildlife, their habitat, and our hunting heritage. To become a member, go to rmef.org. Welcome to the Elk Talk podcast with Randy Newberg and Corey Jacobson, presented by the Rocky Mountain Elk Foundation. The goal is what little you and I know about elk hunting, we share with people. I've got an elk building, it's like 120 yards away, what do I do? First off, the thought would never cross my mind when an elk's being 120 yards away to call anybody on a cell phone. <laughs> All elk. All the time, only elk. Only elk. Well, it's us having conversations, so we usually go down some rabbit holes, but if you hunt with Corey Jacobson, you will find the landscape is full of rabbit holes. We're just going to make this up as we go. And you look at it like, oh, that's a target-rich environment. But if you're trying to single one out, a solo target there is much easier to go into than a a big group. We record everything, so there's no BS and no lying, no faking it with us. (laughs) Did we hit the record button? I forgot to hit the record (laughs) button. If you want to know something about elk hunting, this probably isn't the podcast to listen to. <laughs> Should we give them a list of all the other podcasts wow. where they might learn something? Good morning, Corey Jacobson. How you doing? I'm good, Randy. How are you? Well, I'm probably not as good as you, but I'm okay. I, uh, I don't I'm, know. It sounds like we both went to sports shows over the weekend and managed to come back with oh, some yeah. kind of crud. It, yeah. Different crud from different shows. but Yeah, if I sound, you know, Willie Nelson, when he sings, has like this nasally tone at times. My ears are so <laughs> stuffed up. My eyes feel like they're bugged out because of all this sinus pressure. So if I sound like Willie Nelson, folks, I'm sorry. It's not because I've been smoking weed like Willie does. I don't do that stuff, <laughs> but... Uh, <laughs> I don't know, Corey, that's it. it came to mind. I'm sorry. You, <clears throat> Corey Man. and I can see each other on video. And when I said that, Corey just about <laughs> jumped off his couch. Like, you can't be saying that. But, uh, yeah, it's, it's the trade show season, which to me is like the bug season. I, uh, yeah, I take all that, you know, vitamin C, all those pre conditioning kind of medications to try keep it from happening but i just i get it every time yep no you just think about you shake two or three hands and you've you've probably shaken somebody's (laughs) hand that's touched something that's contagious yeah well uh i guess a couple questions did you get your wyoming application in by january 31st I uh, did not. I'm just going to do a point there again this year. So okay. I'm uh, I'm a I'm one of those point builders from uh, oh, Wyoming, yeah. Arizona. Just yeah, you know. you're one of those guys. See, I'm the opposite. I I'm swinging for the fences. You know, I'm probably going to strike <laughs> out, but like you've heard me say many times, to hit 714 home runs, Babe Ruth had to strike out over 3,000 times. So uh, that's kind of the way i look at it. i got the babe ruth approach to this so. that's right <laughs> but, that's uh, right <laughs> so i i got in before well the deadline for arizona will have passed by the time this podcast drops so uh i did yep. mine the other day um i probably won't draw but that's all right 
and just the way it goes. So, but we got New Mexico hey, coming up March twenty second. Yeah, are you going to fly in New Mexico? I don't know. I'm not sure. Okay, we'll have to see. Yeah. It's a uh, yeah. It's definitely on the radar. Yeah, and then Utah moved their deadline way into May, I think, like early May instead of late April. So that after New Mexico, I think then we got Montana will be, what will it be, uh, April 1st, as always. Hey, Montana is an April Fool's kind of thing. So, <laughs> just, uh, Not as bad uh, as the Idaho process, but yeah. Oh, man. Your Idaho game and fish people need to go have a booth at the Seattle or Puyallup sports show I was at the last four days. <laughs> man. They would have got an I earful. Think, I got an earful. You need to tell Corey, blah, blah. I'm like, uh, I can tell Corey. I, I I can pass this along to Corey, but this ain't going to do any good. Corey's not the guy running the technology department at Idaho Game and Fish. No, uh, I think if they, uh, if I was Idaho Fishing Game, I would not be going to any sports shows outside the state of Idaho <laughs> right now. And I would probably even lay low at the at the ones in state because... My goodness. Yeah, we were at the Hunt Expo in Utah, and same thing. Everybody that came up, you know, almost everybody there was from another state other than Idaho, and they were not happy. Yeah. Well, a man of Corey Jacobson's presence should be able to pick up the phone, call the governor, and say, hey, fix this, right? Yeah. I mean, that's, <laughs> yeah, that's, that's, <laughs> that's exactly how it works in Idaho. <laughs> Uh, but going to these trade shows for me one i enjoy it a ton because i get to just talk to average people who you know they they get to hunt you know maybe one elk on a year and and i'm i'm all ears about what their feedback is what the issues are that they're facing trying to learn a little bit about what's going on outside my little world here in montana and, uh, man, in those four days, I learned a ton. I took a lot of notes and, uh, i I'm really, <laughs> the summary of all my notes is there's a reason I don't live in Washington. Oh man. Uh, That's uh, I had a couple people from Washington come up to me at the show and like, I know you and Randy aren't real fond of Washington, but what, I mean, could you help? help out a little bit there and give us some ideas on how to apply and how you would hunt Washington. And I'm like, you know what? Nope, we can't. There's a, there's a reason we don't talk much about it. And yeah, I couldn't well, even imagine that, yeah. being a poor resident there. Yeah. One of the reasons I wanted to go there is I met with some of the, I did a podcast on my hunt talk podcast about, the craziness that's going on with the Washington Game and Fish Commission and how they, even though their agency made this really compelling case for why a spring bear season is very helpful, how it's, you know, part of the conservation tool they use. And their commission said, nope, we don't care what you think. No spring bear season. So the politics of Washington in the last year and a half has really pivoted that agency uh into uh i don't know what what you'd call it. It, it it's hampered their ability to do much and 
there's a lot of Washington hunters and I, I don't know what to do. I, you know, the, this commission that now I think six of the nine commissioners are, are under appointment by the current governor. They're, they're they do not believe hunting is a necessary thing or even a helpful thing. So what does that do? That's got a lot of these folks for the first, I've been doing these shows over on the West coast for quite a few years. And it used to always be questions about, and we'll get to some of those like, Hey, I did this setup and this is what happened. Or, you know, it was more in the field type questions. The last two years, especially this year, I could not believe how many of the questions were, can you tell me how the Wyoming system works? Can you tell me how the Montana system works or the Idaho system? Because I have to start looking elsewhere for me and my family to hunt. I'm like, woo. Yep. Well, and you just look at how things are structured and with a state, you know, like Idaho, Montana, you know, Washington, there's a Fish and Game Commission and the commission typically listens to the fish and game agency for recommendations. Then they take that to the legislature and, and try to get that pushed through. But that commission is appointed by the governor. And so when you get a governor whose views are uh, maybe not strongly in favor of hunting, then that's a problem because they're going to appoint commissioners who are not strongly in favor of hunting and now, regardless of how loud the sportsman's voice is through the agency, the commission is the one that works with the legislature. And if the commission doesn't agree with the agency, then they aren't going to take the agency's recommendations and present them to the legislature. Yeah. And so, I mean, really, they're cutting the sportsman's voice completely out. And it doesn't it, take very long to see where that winds up. Yeah. So, the other thing that is happening there that I think you and I are both seeing to some degree in our states also is timber company lands that previously were open to hunting are getting closed, are either closed totally because they sell to a private party or it's costing money. And, you know, I would, if at this point in my life, you know, 500 bucks for an annual pass to go hunt some properties that are timberland i could afford it i wouldn't want to do it but i could afford it but when i was younger and i had you know say i i only had one teenager at any one time but if i had two or three teenagers i got one for them one for me all of a sudden this is a pretty big chunk of money for access and so they're losing their places to hunt their state agency is not listening to them and actually has become not their agency, their commission that oversees that agency has become averse to their interest. So these Washington guys, and I saw it last year in Oregon also when I did the Portland and Ben shows that last year Oregon really cinched down on their archery elk uh, seasons. Well, yeah, they went to uh, none of they. They no longer have over the counter on the right. eastern side of the state, so yeah. they have to apply to draw that. And if they don't draw it, then that just forces everybody to the west side. Yeah. So the 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 summary of my notes are: they love our podcast, which I was happy to hear. 
they want Corey to fix the Idaho system. (laughs) (laughs) Excuse me. And even though they don't like the Idaho non-resident system, if I was you, Corey, I would brace myself for one hell of a land rush of hunters moving from Washington. Because a lot of them, either before or after the seminar, even during the seminar, told me that they are probably moving. Uh, And guess what place they all were looking for property in? Or where they wanted to move. Yeah. Yeah. Northern Idaho. Yep. So I told them, I said, well, you know, let me tell you about Northern Idaho. Low property taxes, great schools, elk all (laughs) over the place. You know, if I was you and I was packing my bags, I wouldn't look any further than Northern Idaho. Uh, And those those Idaho guys, they're all lying about the wolves. There aren't even any wolves in Idaho, especially Northern Idaho. That's, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Keep them out of Montana, right? (laughs) Yeah, and I told them, I said, well, you know what? When I left Bozeman on the flight, when I flew out, it was five. I, I think I lied when I said it was five below. It was really five above. Uh, and they're like, oh, man, that's cold. I'm like, oh, yeah. Grizzly bears? Holy cow, do we have grizzly bears in Montana. In fact, uh, <laughs> one, one guy, <laughs> he, he stood up and he said, you know, I'm to the point where I would almost be willing to trade our our game commission for a dozen grizzly bears. I'm like, nope. <laughs> We're not taking your game commissioners. No way. But we'll send you a couple dozen grizzly bears and we'll even pay the freight. Uh, and I told them there weren't really many grizzly bears in, in Idaho. So, You know what's funny is I had a guy at the Utah show come up to me and, and say, hey, with all the grizzlies in Montana and Wyoming, I'm just not comfortable hunting there. So I got to got a elk tag in idaho this year and um Mm. i just you know i'm I'm not comfortable hunting in grizzly country and i said well what zone did you get he said i got the island park zone (laughs) 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 and i said well if there was ever a zone in idaho that's just like the grizzly zones in wyoming and montana you picked it (laughs) yeah (laughs) oh that's funny (laughs) well I guess he's going to go elk hunting, though. Yep. Hopefully, but, you know, get talking to- about talking about the issue with you know the people in Washington moving to Idaho, and and we've seen it. I mean, you've seen the growth since yep. you know COVID and the pandemic, and everybody moving. You know, California and Oregon and Washington, people are fleeing there because of liberal policies and hunting and the opportunities they have to to move. And yeah. you talk about the Idaho non-resident system being a debacle. And, you know, as residents, you know, we aren't too concerned about that. That doesn't hurt us. But <laughs> all of these all of these people who are currently non-residents or who have been non-residents and we, you know, we're wanting to protect opportunity for residents in these states, we're going to have a resident issue. I mean, we really are in Montana and Wyoming and Idaho. It's going to become an issue of how do we manage all the residents that are now here hunting. And so, I mean, there needs to be some foresight into thinking about what's going to happen there and how that's going to affect in-state hunting in a lot of these places. Yep. And anyone who doesn't think that, let me tell you the roadmap you can follow. It's a place called (laughs) Colorado. If you go and look at what Colorado had to do 
I can't remember when they did it. It was about 15, 18 years ago. All of their deer hunting had to go to limited entry permit. They just had too many residents showing up, many new residents showing up. And now they're talking about the same thing for the -the over-the-counter elk stuff. So, uh, yeah, if you live in one of these states that's becoming the, the landing spot, you're exactly right, Corey. It's it's going to create a resident issue eventually. Yep. Well, and I just it just shows you how complex wildlife management really is. You take Colorado for example, and Colorado has so much public land access. They have so yep. much, you know, such a huge population of wildlife, and those things attract hunters. I mean, it, obviously, mm-hmm. there's a lot of opportunity there. So they give a pretty liberal amount of, of opportunity to non-residents. Yep. Well, we're getting to a point where there's a lot of residents living there and it's putting a lot of strain on on some of that. So they're going to have to limit non-resident opportunity to protect residents, which the game, you know, the wildlife belongs to the state. So the residents are the ones who are going to get protected. That, yep. that all makes sense. But then you throw in, you know, a situation where there are some liberal politics able to take hold there. And now they're talking about where they're going to transplant these wolves and turn them loose. And if you think that limiting non-resident opportunity to protect resident opportunity is going to solve the issue, and then you throw wolves in there and nothing's going to change, it's going to be drastic change after drastic change over the next five to 10 years and, you know, there's just so many complex issues that we just haven't been in front of enough to, you know, as, as far as being staying ahead of it and being forward thinking that we're going to fight and fight and fight to try to hold on to some semblance of, of opportunity in a lot of these places. Yeah. <clears throat> well, as a sidebar, since you brought it up. Colorado Parks and Wildlife asked me to do a bunch of interviews about my view of wolf reintroduction since I lived it here in Montana. I don't <laughs> think they're going to use any of that footage. I bet. <laughs> it, the truth hurts. <laughs> well, and to the credit of the agency, you know, they, they're not the ones who asked for this. And I think they're trying yeah. to put together a story of here's what you can expect. This is this is not going to be all you know butterflies and daisies here. Uh, and so, if they were looking for a, a more honest view, I maybe could have toned it down a little bit. I might have kind of talked myself off their whatever video they're putting together <laughs> because I. I'm like, well, you know, here's what you can expect. And if you think that your state has social turmoil right now around the issue of hunting or outdoor recreation or whatever, (laughs) it's just been the preseason up until the time those wolves get on the ground. So, yep. And, uh, you know another interesting part about the whole this uh, we're we're really going down rabbit holes here, right? Oh, man. <laughs> uh, we, we we should almost have Jim Heffelfinger on this podcast because he's the guy he works for Arizona Game and Fish and he's the guy in charge of the Mexican wolf recovery. 
And him and some of his fellow PhD type, you know, big brain scientist types have written an article about how the Colorado reintroduction could really endanger the program we that, you know, the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service has been working on for two decades now related to the Mexican gray wolf. And there's this <laughs> term that they talk about called genetic swamping that historically there was always kind of some geographic buffers and some other things that allowed these populations to be a little bit isolated. Um, but now with the way things are and the fact that there's no, you know, a lot of the mechanisms of predation and, and how wolves moved across the landscape that if some of these Colorado wolves and they will get abundant like they did in the Rocky Northern Rockies, get down to Arizona and New Mexico, which they will, a large northern gray wolf is going to have the genetic benefit or, you know, superior genetic benefit when it comes to breeding. And so they have a concern about this thing called genetic swamping. So all the work that's been put into the Mexican gray wolf is at risk because of the, uh, the Colorado ballot initiative that said, oh, yeah, we want some northern gray wolves here. Um, so I guess. Now, is, is genetic swamping the gray wolves breeding with the yep. Mexican yep. wolves? It's, mm -hmm. Yeah. And, and, and so my the, concern would be what we saw with the coyotes. You know, wolves do not like any kind of you know they're very territorial so any other yeah. canine they are going to seek out and destroy so i yep. guess my thought would have been that they're gonna kill off but they'll probably kill off all the males and then breed with the females and then pretty soon you've got this right hybrid mutt of yep. a wolf running around that yeah and that that's kind of the summary if you if you go google it jim's got some documents out there that he and other scientists have published about the concerns of genetic swamping of the Mexican gray wolf. And just what you said, even if they don't kill them, you know, a, a pack structure, a social structure that relies on alphas. So you get a, a large northern gray wolf female that heads down there. The alpha female in that Mexican gray wolf pack is going to get run out. May not get killed, but going to get run out. And the same with the alpha male. If a male shows up down there, uh, that alpha male is going to get run out. And the alphas get to do most of breeding. Uh, so yeah. that's, uh, <clears throat> again, another sidebar. And I, I've always, I had Jim on my hunt talk podcast because no one wants to talk about this. And when you bring it up in the context of Colorado, all those groups are like, oh, that's just a bunch of scientific fiction. Okay. Yeah, that's for sure. Whatever. <laughs> you know, these guys spend their whole life studying this stuff, but yeah, call it, call it scientific fiction, whatever you want. But, uh, so yep. none well, of this, just, what, whether you believe in the conspiracy theory of, you know, using wolves to shut down hunting or, or whatever, whether it was planned or not, if you look at how it's going to affect everything, you know, look at mm -hmm. opportunity in Colorado, look at the dollars well, look how much it costs to manage that much habitat and that much wildlife in a state. And then where does the money come from? Well, there's a lot mm -hmm. of resident and non-resident opportunity that generates a lot of revenue to, to support yeah. that management. Well, now wolves go in there 
And they are no doubt, especially initially, they are going to hammer elk and deer population and moose populations. You think about the phenomenal opportunity there is for moose hunting in Colorado, kiss it goodbye. I mean, you you can just (laughs) mark my words. (laughs) Uh, no, I, and I'm not laughing because of that fact, but I'm laughing thinking back to my comments in this footage they asked me to send them of this interview. And I did bring up moose specifically. I'm like, you know, the least adaptable to this new predator on the landscape will be your Shiver's moose. And you guys are like the hotbed of new expanding Shiver's moose population. So, yep. Yeah, kiss that one. That's <laughs> yep. So you know you, you do that, and then pretty soon you're cutting opportunity for non-residents and residents significantly, which significantly cuts your revenue. And pretty soon, hunting is not a viable management tool because it can't be supported financially. And it's, I mean, we are just. It's not just wolves. I mean, wolves is one more piece that is going to throw a huge wrench in our management ability for wildlife yeah and so i look at all these things going on in colorado and for those of you who are mad at me that i did a video that said you should think about burning your points in colorado and i said think about it in wyoming also there's just so many things going on in colorado that you talk about there, Corey, how they're all converging. All right. We're going to have wolves on the landscape. That's going to have an impact. And like you said, it's not the only thing. We have a rapid pace of development. We have an unbelievable amount of year round. They call it low impact recreation, right? Non-consumptive recreation. Well, that's going on for more of the year than what hunting is going on. And they're having a huge impact. We have residential development population growth and we have an increase in resident hunters saying hey you know we like being generous but we don't know that we want to be this generous (laughs) anyone listening if you want to come and we'll do a handshake bet for a hundred bucks i'll take every bet that's out there i'll bet a hundred dollars to anyone who wants to show up here and we'll escrow the hundred dollar bills somewhere but There's no doubt that in five years, this is my bet that I'd make to people. The -the over-the-counter scenario we see today in Colorado for elk will have changed. The Elk Talk podcast is also brought to you by Mountain Ops, making outdoor energy and performance nutrition to make you a stronger and healthier elk hunter. They have a full line of hunting-related supplements, including meal replacement shakes, multivitamins, pre-workout fuel, and post-workout recovery, and my favorite, their new performance protein bars that, by the way, are packed with 270 calories and 20 grams of protein, but contain less than 6 grams of sugar. Visit mountainops.com to learn more and to order, and be sure to use the promo code ELKTALK to save on your next order. Oh, absolutely. Especially for non-resident. Does that mean <laughs> does that mean you're not gonna take my bet, Corey? Oh, I would not bet against that. Okay. Yeah. So. No, we've been saying I mean, you just look at every state that's got non-resident opportunity. Wyoming has changed and will continue to change. Look at the prices. They're just looking at it saying, Hey, we're gonna have to cut the number of non-resident tags. So how do we keep the revenue the same? 
we take a special tag from $700 to $1,100 to $1,300 to $1,900. And we just keep going up because we know people are going to have to pay it. If you want to hunt as a non-resident, pretty soon you're going to be stuck paying that kind of money just because the states have to find their revenue stream somehow and there are going to be people who will pay it. Look at Montana. You know, look at what they did. They, mm-hmm. they keep changing it. I had five preference points for my combo license just so whenever I was ready to draw it, I knew I could draw it. They took all those away. You know how much that's mm-hmm. cost me to get five <laughs> preference points? And they just said, you know what? We don't care about you anymore. We thank you for your generous donations the last five years, but your points are all gone. You get to start over at zero because you can't have more than two. And if you get more than two, we knock you down to zero. We don't just knock you down to two and leave you there. We knock you to zero. You know, Idaho, look at the debacle that it's been with getting over-the-counter tags here. It's every single state, there are issues that will negatively affect, especially non-resident hunting opportunity. And it's, you know, you said the next five to 10 years, I, I think it'll be sooner than that. Yeah. And I'm not doing this to depress everybody, right? No. I'm doing this because I want people to have eyes wide open. That this is what is is coming down the pike. So be not only that, don't be a voice. Be a voice now. Get involved. If I mean, there are things. There are absolutely things that we can do. There are solutions that don't cut out opportunity completely that don't have to go completely to a rich man's game but we have to be ahead of that we have to come up with these solutions and me and randy sitting here ranting on a soapbox on the podcast isn't going to do it you know it's going to take a collective voice of everybody coming together and saying hey we have got to we've got to stand up to this and we've got to come up with a solution now that makes sense so that we aren't left like in washington clawing trying to get back what we've lost we've got to make sure we don't lose it but we also have to have solutions in place that address the the challenges that are coming yeah so here's if anyone's wondering how many non-residents actually apply for elk in colorado 68,000 non-resident and non-resident youth all they did was apply for a preference point. In other words, they didn't even, you know, didn't, didn't even put a hunt code on their application. And that's out of 111,000 total non-residents. So that means 43,000 non-residents actually applied for a tag. And a lot of them didn't draw. So you think about how many people that is that go hunting in Colorado. And if Colorado has to change things dramatically, like I'm thinking they do, uh, that doesn't happen in a vacuum either. Just like the Washington guys losing all their access to hunting ground when timber companies sell land or they charge fees. And that gets them looking to other states. All these non-residents who kind of use Colorado as their elk hunting option, they're going to look to other states if Colorado cranks that down. So, uh, 
it's it's just a reality and we gotta we gotta be aware of it and like you said i think that's the really good point you made Corey. is we gotta be proactive and getting on facebook whining and complaining about it is not being very proactive it might make you feel better you know you might walk away from your computer and say boy i showed them but uh that ain't gonna ain't gonna do much so so what is what know. is gonna do what's gonna be the solution what's gonna do much and I got asked that a lot in Washington. They're like, look, we feel we don't want to be apathetic. We don't want to just cave in. So Washington in the last six months has started this thing. I think it's called the Outdoor Sportsman's Alliance. They're trying to get every statewide group, every local rod and gun club, everybody on the same page and say, look, let's quit fighting and arguing about lighted knocks or about this or about that. Let's look at these bigger picture things here. You know, we solve some of these big picture things and we can go back to arguing about the little stuff. Uh, so <clears throat> there's that. Uh, a lot of small groups are popping up, uh, local groups, regional groups, uh, groups interested in, you know, whether it's bear hunting or whatever. Uh, and that is all happening because people said, I'm not, I'm not just going to sit here and, and complain. I'm going to do something. So whether it's starting your own group, whether joining your own group, maybe it's a national group, whatever. Or a lot of people are just like, look, I'm not a group kind of guy. I'm going to do my own thing. Cool. Engage with your commissioners. Engage with your legislature. Engage with anybody who is one of the trustees of your public wildlife. Be professional. Be polite. Be prepared. And be persistent. And... You'd be surprised how much of a difference you can make. And I know that sounds like your civics class, right? And I, oh, some young kid <laughs> in Washington said they don't call it civics anymore. I'm like, what do they call it? He had a name for it. Now I forgot. But, you know, for old gray haired guys like me, we called it civics. In other words, classes on how government works and all that kind of stuff. So I know that that's what it sounds like. And I'm not trying to make this some sort of civics lesson, but the people who show up are the people who get heard. And sometimes they may not do what you want them to do, but force them to have to listen to you. Make your compelling case. You know, not to make it political, you know, as far as one side or another here, but look at how the... The temperature, the the direction in the nation has shifted, and some of the hot button topics in politics—they're just a fringe. They're just a very small percentage of the population that's just making a whole bunch of noise. And it really seems like, well, these are the only issues that are important in the nation, just because yeah. a small group is is making noise. And so, you mentioned something there. You know, if if there's a statewide alliance. That brings all of these groups together. It's going to be hard to please everyone, but if you have an overarching focus of let's protect hunting opportunity, let's protect hunting rights, you know, there's a lot that can be done. If we don't argue about, well, I don't really agree with bear baiting, you know, I'm I'm a traditional archery hunter and I don't think bear baiting's fair chase. Well, you're fighting with 
with uh, the, the main concept of we're going to lose the opportunity to be a traditional archery hunter. We're going to lose the opportunity to bait bears. We're going to lose the opportunity to hunt with hounds. We're going to lose the opportunity to have, you know, all of these things. We have got to say, you know what, I may not agree with this part of hunting, but it's hunting and I'm going to fight to protect yeah. what they want so that they'll fight to protect what I want. And yeah, we've got to stop worrying about mechanicals and lighted knocks and, you know, archery and rifle and who gets a longer season, who gets to hunt during the rut. And we better just come together and, and make a loud voice because you get every one of those groups together pushing behind the same platform. It's going to make a voice. It's going to be heard. Yeah. And I think if there are alliances in each state like that, it would be really important to to get involved in those right now. Yeah. And, you know, I had two guys, Dan and Chris, from Washington on the podcast, and they were they're two of the members who helped guide this uh, Outdoor Sportsman's Alliance. Uh, I think that's what it's called. I, I might have the name wrong, but anyhow, uh, those kind of things are popping up in other states. Um and if you have one in your state, seek it out and know that <laughs> I always tell people, if I was going to join a group that agreed with me a hundred percent of the time, it'd be a group that has one member, me. <laughs> okay. So don't let perfection and purity, you know, your ideological purity get in the way of progress. Because uh, anyone who wants to read a good lesson on this, I would suggest you go and study uh, 1810. Uh, I know that's over 200 years ago, but a Shawnee chief, Tecumseh, went to all the other tribes and said, hey, we're going to lose our land if we don't join forces and we don't you know, come together. As a, he called it the Confederacy of Tribes. And I think he had 11 tribes he's trying to bring together. And, well, what ended up happening is he put up a good fight, but everyone else wanted to bicker about, well, you know, we want this little bit of bottom ground, and we want this, and we want that, and da 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 And so the history of Tecumseh and the Confederacy falling apart because nobody could keep their eye on the bigger prize, and it was all about what my little interest is, well, <clears throat> guess what? They didn't stop the flood of, of settlers coming. And now we live a history that that serves as a pretty good example to. Um, and I know some people would be like, look, this isn't, you know, the Shawnee and the, the you know, the tribes trying to stop the, the white settlers coming across. Well, no, it's not. But, you can draw a lot of parallels to the idea of forming strategic alliances, even if you may have your individual differences and how much more power you could have. So um, that's now everyone knows that I'm a pretty big fan of uh, native American history and I read all that kind of stuff and nerd out, but uh, <laughs> there's a lot of lessons to be learned there. Right. There are. And, uh, you look at how we as hunters, you know, we, we break ourselves into little categories, not just I'm an elk hunter. Okay. I'm a archery elk hunter. I'm a traditional archery elk hunter. You know, you, you can get yourself so far down to those holes and that's great. But when it comes to some of these things where at stake is 
management as we've always had it, right? Supposedly science-based and that user kind of pays type system through licenses and excise taxes. A lot of that's at risk right now. And if we want to, you know, go in our little corners and argue about the the minutia, the big steamroller is going to come and squish us. So, yep. Hmm. Yeah. Well, with all that, with all that doom and gloom behind us, Corey, how are things going over on Destination Elk? Man, they're going really good. We uh, at the Utah show, we had a lot of comments about it, and everybody's really liking it. But they had uh, they had some feedback for me that involved you. Mm, they're missing seeing I... Randy. Yeah, they, uh, a lot of people are just they're like we just miss that excitement every every time you guys see a grouse nobody gets excited we need Randy on Destination Elk and I <laughs> that's funny because uh, when I <laughs> asked for a show a show of hands in Washington anyone watching Destination Elk oh yeah yeah we love it why aren't you on there like because Corey wants people who actually hunt elk not get distracted <laughs> by shiny objects so uh, that's not true hmm. but anyhow things are going well over there so, they are you should I see did. the engagement we're getting you know comments we're uh well this episode by the time it comes out we'll probably be on oh episode 10 or 11 somewhere in there out of 17 but we're uh episode 7 will actually launch tonight and we're getting like 3,000 comments in each episode, Whoa. which in the past, we've gotten three to 400. You know, a really, really popular episode might generate 600 or so comments. We're getting consistently 23, 2,400 up to over 3,000 on these episodes. So it's really fun. You know, it's time consuming to go through. I read every comment. Uh, it's time consuming, but it's really cool to see that that engagement wow well i i it's not because i'm on there <laughs> <laughs> well a lot of a lot of the comments do mention randy where's randy uh, i miss seeing randy so <clears throat> yeah yeah that's but no we're uh, I'll, I'll, you know we're I'll, I'll think about it Corey. i don't know <laughs> maybe i should just be there for comedy relief or something you know be the the old gray-haired curmudgeon that sits in camp smokes a cigarette and drinks a cheap beer even though i don't do either <laughs> of those uh, yeah, you and can play, play gives, that character anyway yeah and gives commentary on the, the way life should be right that's uh, right but well that's good uh how many how many more you got to go i say you know the invitation's always open but yeah, I know. We uh, we are on episode seven tonight. So by the time this podcast release, it'll probably be episode ten or so that we're on. And okay. we have seventeen total episodes of the Destination Elk series. So episode seventeen is on March fourteenth, and then okay. uh, we'll have the Outfitters for Hope Hunt that will show a week later on March twenty first. And then uh, we haven't released the uh, the 
date yet, but we'll have the film from my Colorado hunt that we did in collaboration with Sitka that will be out sometime uh, shortly after that early spring. Hmm. Cool. So go to yeah. the Elk 101 YouTube channel and check it out. If you haven't already, yep. do it. So, And there's a link on our website just at elk101.com forward slash DEV5. That'll give you the full airing schedule of each episode and uh, has some other details. You know, the, the lifetime gear giveaway we're doing with Peaks, which... That's such a mm-hmm. huge thing. We had a lot of people come up, like, I can't believe, I've never even heard of a, a giveaway concept like this. It's phenomenal. But, you know, Peaks just released their teepee at, mm-hmm. uh, at Hunt Expo. And so they've got trekking poles and gators and headlamps and the teepee now. And we've got some more really incredible stuff coming out in the next year. But they, uh, if... If you sign up for that giveaway, if you get entered into that giveaway, the winner is going to get one of every product that Peaks currently has. And for the lifetime of Peaks equipment, anytime they release a new product, that winner is going to get a care package in the mail uh, with that new product. So for the lifetime of Peaks, you're going to have every product that Peaks releases now as well as in the future. So Pretty incredible giveaway. And all you have to do is buy a t-shirt to get entered. And you can buy that at peaksequipment.com. And it's a really cool t-shirt because it has a, a artist's rendition of me at full draw on an elk with Donnie in the background calling that elk. And Donnie has a mohawk in the image. So <laughs> it's a it's a classic destination elk uh, t-shirt image. Uh, <laughs> well, they're only two two miles away from me. I could almost walk over there and buy one of those T-shirts. But something tells me there's a fine print. You know, Randy Newberg's not eligible to win, but everybody else is eligible to win. So, well, I didn't yeah. I didn't see any fine print about that. I mean, you might as well buy a shirt and just see. It's uh, yeah. What do you have I'll, I'll to buy lose? a shirt. I'll buy a shirt just to walk around and I. <laughs> <laughs> you know, we we don't we don't need the optics of me winning a sweepstakes sponsored by Corey and Pete. So, you know, <laughs> that's why when I, when I I do I MC a ton of Elk Foundation events, right? Uh, and if you aren't a member of the Elk Foundation, I hope you will be. They're one of the ways that you can make a difference. But uh, so I'll go to some of these towns where they're like, "Oh, Newburgh's coming to be our MC," and they want me to buy raffle tickets. I'm like, guys. You know what that would look like if the MC won a bunch of raffle items? <laughs> no. <laughs> so usually what I do is I say, okay, I'm, you know, my budget for each event is, I don't know, 500 bucks or something. I usually say the first five people who sign up as a life member, I'll pay your first hundred bucks. Uh, so that's, that's how I can make my contribution without polluting the <laughs> the transparent <laughs> the right, that, circle <laughs> yeah i just it just didn't feel right to me so i'll i'll go buy a t-shirt Corey, but i'm not I, i'm not going to be in your your contest so <laughs> but well, um, you could always, uh, if you did win, you know, you could always donate back the the opportunity to win, and then that would make you yeah. look even just <clears throat> as 
nice and genuine as you really are. Yeah. Well, I, uh, we'll, we'll just let somebody win and they'll be excited about it. But, (laughs) uh, speaking of, of, uh, the upcoming season, um, you, you think that, uh, you got all kinds of fun stuff. Have you decided what you're doing for the destination six? Who's in, are are you going to stick with the same group? We don't know. I am, uh, plans are still uh, preliminary. Yeah. Well, as someone who has helped you line up camera guys in the path, (laughs) uh, Mr. Crockett and his team, uh, Lenny, uh, no camera guys want to go with them. Well, you know, people want Ty Stubblefield. They want Ty Stubblefield involved again. So whether Ty likes it, likes it or not he's uh he's mm. probably going to get a phone call to see if he's available to film and i know if uh if i have any kind of a thought process about what he's going to say it's probably going to be uh are they going back to the same area because if they are i'm busy that week yeah yeah that's crazy those guys yeah, they, I, 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 there's something about rodeo guys who just are wired differently than accountants anyhow Yep. I mean, I I ride a desk for a living. They ride bulls with you know two thousand pound bulls with big horns and snot coming out their nose. Uh, <laughs> I guess that explains why why accountants like me and bull riders are wired differently. Yep. Well, Tyler Crockett and I share an office, and I have never seen Tyler as motivated for his physical conditioning as he is right now. Like he, they, they hunt some of the steepest, deepest, most nasty stuff that you can find in North America. And, you know, they, they hurt their poor camera guys every year, taking them into that. But Tyler has started working out already and he is hitting it hard. And so I, uh, mm-hmm. if, if you want to be a camera guy for team pure elevation on destination elk, you better pack a lunch and be starting packing <laughs> it right now. <laughs> oh man. I, Ty Stubblefield, you've, you've been warned. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm going to politely not, I, I'm, let's put it this way. I want to keep my crew. So I'm not volunteering any of my crew to go with those guys. Just just cross that off as a possibility right now. Like my crew, when I say, "Hey, who wants to film me?" I get all kinds of volunteers. Like, well, I can keep up with that old fart. That's no problem. <laughs> this is gonna be this is gonna be like a walk to Walmart, man. So <laughs> I can but. remember a comment one of your previous camera guys made about the differences in hunting with us versus hunting with Randy, uh-huh. and uh, I had to. Reminded, yeah. we're just on the afternoon of day one. We haven't even started hitting it hard yet. So yeah. we, uh, we try to break them in slow. Yeah. Needless to say, that unnamed person came back and said, I don't want to do that anymore. <laughs> yeah. Okay. I get it. So, uh, well, well we, uh, we, we, always, we always take into consideration who we're hunting with and how we're hunting and all of that. So we... We find ways to make it work. So don't, if uh, yeah. if you're invited back or your cameramen are invited to be involved, we will uh, we'll take that into consideration as we're planning logistics. All right. Well, 
when I was in Washington, you know, I so when I do these seminars, they used to say, "Hey, can you talk about rifle elk hunting? Or you can you talk about e scouting? Whatever." And I'd show up, and only about ten percent of the people really cared about that specific topic. So now, anyone who asks me to do a seminar, I say, "Yeah, I'll do it," but it's got to be a Q and A session. Yeah, that way I know I'm answering their questions. Yep, and a lot of it's about marriage advice. Uh, and the way I look at it is, you know, my, my anniversary is for, it's this week, Corey, and it'll be 34 years. And I look at it as if I can hunt a hundred days a year. My wife makes me take her fishing 20 to 40 days a year. And we're still married after 34 years. I've got something figured out. I at least have some sort of perspective on marriage advice that is valid. So that's why I give a lot of marriage advice uh, in my uh, in my <laughs> seminars. Uh, I give some financial advice with the disclaimer that you know this is this is worth what you paid for it. So you were here for free. So what do you want for nothing? <laughs> your money back? Yeah, exactly. Uh, <laughs> And then we do get into a lot of policy, a lot of advocacy, a lot of public land and access stuff. But at this seminar, these seminars in uh, Washington, I put, I always, when I get asked these questions, I'm like, look, I have never shot a Roosevelt elk. I've, I've only had one Roosevelt elk tag and because of COVID, I had to eat it. So... I, I, if you're talking Roosevelt, I'm not your guy. And, uh, but maybe you have the answer. The most common answer I, or, or question I got throughout that period was, what do we do when we get these elk and they come in and they're, they're in archery range, but we still can't see them because it's so thick. How do we get them closer? <laughs> I'm like, I don't know. Let me let me give you the name of some people who could answer this question for you. Uh, and I I give them your name a little bit, and then I said, go watch those Angry Spike videos. Yeah, so, I, was I hope those say, guys. I, I was just gonna say, I I grew up hunting in northern Idaho, which is very similar. I mean, it really is. We don't get the quite as much moisture as they get on the coast, but as far as terrain and everything it's steep it's rugged it's super brushy you're fighting you know maybe the the brush and the alders that you're fighting don't poke you and grab you and cut you like everything on the coast but as far as trying to get close to the animals and get the animals into a shooting lane uh, a lot of the same struggles there but yeah the guy you know guys like angry spike and born and raised and guys that get it done consistently on the coast they uh the time we spent hunting with Brinker for a couple of years and then Angry Spike a couple times. Uh, we definitely saw that is a, a very common challenge and something that you've got to learn to to deal with. But for me, I grew up hunting by myself for the most part, you know, in high school, college. Uh, and so I can't tell you how many opportunities, well, not opportunities, but encounters I got where an elk is inside 20 or 30 yards and there's definitely not a shooting lane. Sometimes you don't even see it. You know, he's there, but 
it's frustrating because at that point, he's got the higher ground. He's standing there holding his ground, not willing to come down through those alders any closer. And he knows exactly where you are. So that just it really limits opportunities. And from what I've done in the past in those situations, plus what I encountered hunting Roosevelt's the handful of times I have, you've got to really be strategic about how and where you set up. Uh, and then there's some other tactics you can do to, to hopefully either bring them in closer or get yourself in closer. But, you know, a, a perfect example in episode two of Destination Elk, Shannon from Angry Spike did shoot a, a big Roosevelt bull uh, over on, on the coast in Reprod, which is probably some of the thickest stuff you can hunt in. And yeah. he just he managed to be in a place where he could see 12 or 15 yards and managed to bring that bull to the edge of it. And they're still smart animals. You know, they, they skirt the edge of even those little 15-yard openings. And when he shot, all you can see on the camera, which camera is three or four yards behind him and to the right, all you can see on the camera is the tips of the elk's antlers in the reprod. Shannon had a little different angle, and he could see, you know, had a shooting lane uh, into that bull, but most of your shots are going to be 15 yards. A lot of them are going to be frontal, and a lot of them are going to be tight little openings that you're shooting through. Well, because of those questions and how many people, even I think a lot of people are interested in going to Oregon or Washington and hunting Roosevelt's and archery's over the counter for both states. Uh, I think it'd be great to have those guys on and yeah. uh, talk more technical about it i mean you got into it there a little bit about you know how to try get them closer but uh if i go do that i'm gonna put a five yard pin on my bow (laughs) (laughs) i tell you what it uh i've had most of my shot opportunities have been further than that um but there is no doubt we have had some encounters i had a bull at six yards and couldn't even see the brush moving that he was moving through. Like that's how thick some of these areas are. We had, I had an elk at four or five yards over there that I just about stepped on. Like we could hear the bull knew he was across this little ravine at 30 yards. And Shannon's literally got a hold of my backpack behind me, pushing me forward through the brush saying, just go straight at him. Just go straight at him. And I'm thinking (laughs) we're inside 25 yards. The bull's going to run. And he's like, nope, he's, you have to go through brush. These bulls have to face each other in this brush and they'll go right nose to nose in this kind of stuff. And then I start thinking, well, I don't want to go nose to nose with a thousand pound Roosevelt <laughs> bull. Here. That's, I'm, I'm at a disadvantage physically, whether he thinks I'm another bull or not, but I'm pushing through this. And all of a sudden, right below me, there's a little cut, you know, where the, the water's kind of washed out a little bit of a, a cut there. And I look down mm-hmm. and this bull's looking up at me less than five yards away with his nose up through these alders and he turns wow. and runs and he runs 15 yards and stops and chuckles. And he's like, keep going, push right through to him. So, I mean, we're literally playing this game of cat and mouse in this thick stuff. And wow, within we're within 40 yards of him for 20 minutes. And that was my only only look at him was when he poked his nose up through the alders and saw me coming down that little cut bank, almost stepping on top of him. Hmm. Wow. 
<laughs> that is close combat. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, I, I, I would feel remiss if we didn't take Stephanie's question that got emailed because I think it's kind of a good strategy. Uh, Stephanie from Illinois, uh, who's willing participant in her adventures, she says, uh, is my husband. God bless his heart. Uh, <laughs> there's not too many, uh, female options for hunting friends. Uh, and I don't know if that's because of where she lives in Illinois and not a lot of, uh, her female hunting friends want to come out West, but she's got a strategy that they were, they're doing where each year they rotate somebody applies for a bull tag general bull tag somebody applies for a cow tag in the same area and that way even if they don't draw the bull tag they got a reason to go out there and they learn the terrain they learn the unit they learn the herd behaviors by going out there and cow hunt and then they rotate that each year the next year the other person applies for a, and she says the other person i'm assuming she means her husband since uh, <laughs> she said that's her hunting hunting buddy uh and so they do that um it's kind of an interesting way to to look at it you know i i'm kind of spoiled where i live in a state where i i can uh hunt you know I'm, i get an over-the-counter elk tag so i i haven't had to look at it the way stephanie does but i guess that's a way to make sure that your draw odds are way higher. I mean, a lot of cow cow tag, that's 100% draw odds. You're out there hunting. You're learning. You're learning elk. You're learning that unit. And you're probably got pretty high chance of coming home with elk meat. Yeah. I, I, she needs to patent that strategy. And yeah. No, it's a great strategy. And that, like you said, it, it gets you out there. And you're hunting, and you're probably not going to draw a, you know, as a non-resident, I'm guessing, you know, in some place like Montana, Wyoming, um, you're probably not going to draw that general elk tag for a bull every year. It might take two, three, four years, whatever it is. But if you're both building a point, and one of you draws, and the other one's a point or two behind, you know, you're able to draw between your the group, you're able to draw a bull tag every you know, at least other year. And then on the years when you don't have a bull tag, one of you should have a, a guaranteed antlerless tag. So yeah, it's getting you in there. You're getting to hunt. You're, uh, you're hunting the same area. You're probably hunting the same general tactics and strategies. So it's an incredibly brilliant strategy and, and idea to get out hunting every year. Yeah. So Stephanie, great idea. Uh, it's uh, something that I thought was worthwhile to share, uh, simply because uh, you know you hear the doom and gloom about oh I'm never going to get a tag. Um, well, that <laughs> it sounds like Stephanie's not not going to let all the the supposed problems of life get in the way of what she wants to do. Um, so I I just I thought it was worthwhile to share that. It's another way that people could get out and hunt more uh and that way when they do draw that that bull tag for that unit you know what i bet you they're gonna have it pretty well dialed in and they're they're gonna so you got the bell curve of success right 10 percent, 12 percent. they're gonna be the outlier way over there to the right of the bell curve where it's like oh yeah we shoot one every year <laughs> but uh 
This one is, uh, I think we've covered it before, but I thought it was worth touching on because uh, DJ says, look, I'm not inclined to stay home just because I don't have a hunting buddy that day. You can't kill an elk from the couch. I live in southwest Montana, and there are a lot of opportunities to glass, but a lot of times the elk go in bed in the thick timber. I understand the thermals and all that, but I've not been successful when archery hunting by myself. I find a lot of elk, but it's just a challenge to finish the job without my buddy calling for me, for for calling from behind. Uh, That's, yeah, I I think there's a lot of people who uh, probably can relate to DJ's question. You know, they might have a hunting friend or a family member, but schedules don't always work. So you want to go hunting anyhow. Um, You get the bull calling or you hear them or you locate them. But when you're all by yourself, closing the deal gets to be a whole lot more difficult. Um, Yep. Now, is, is this where is this where I'm supposed to say there's an entire chapter that talks about that <laughs> in the University of Elk Hunting? <laughs> yeah, that, you, you that's mentioned what I was... that a couple podcasts ago uh, and uh, said, you know, a lot of these questions we get are covered in full detail in the University of uh, Elk Hunting online course. It's now part of outdoor class. So, um, yep. and there is there's an entire chapter where I detail a lot of strategy for solo hunting specific to calling elk in in that situation and just in a nutshell um, there's two two things that i would say you have to utilize to your advantage more so in that situation than any other and the first is you have to use your calls in a way that makes the elk think that the calls are coming from a location where maybe they really aren't so without having a buddy back behind you calling you know, if, if you have a buddy back behind you calling and you're able to set out in front, that bull's going to come to a certain distance before he stops. And if the caller can pull that bull into the shooter's lane before he stops, then that makes it a lot easier on the shooter. Well, without a caller back there, if you're calling and just sitting there and the bull knows where, you, where you're at, he's probably going to hang up before he gets all the way to that location, which is the the main challenge when you're hunting by yourself. So you can utilize your calls to some degree to broadcast them behind you or directionally in another direction to make the bull either come in a little closer or come in on a different angle before he feels he should be able to see where those calls are coming from. And hopefully that gets him into your shooting lane. The other way is utilizing the terrain. And, you know, rather than just setting up on a flat bench and the bull's able to really easily pinpoint your location and then stop before he gets there, you're going to have to utilize terrain and make that bull come to a certain terrain feature uh, before he feels like he's able to see. And then your setup hopefully will, will be close enough to that terrain feature. And one example I always use is if the bull's on a hillside and there's a, a ridge if you can be on the ridge but call to the back side of the ridge away from the bull and make the bull think you're on the opposite side of the ridge than what he is, the only way he's going to be able to see you is to come up the hill, get to the ridge, and look down on the back side. And so if you're right on that ridge and you're bugling down off the back side, he's not going to be able to pinpoint exactly where you are. He's not going to be able to know, hey, he's on the ridge bugling straight down at me. 
you bugle away from him on a ridge and he might think that bull's down off the backside. If I get to the ridge, I'm still safe. I've got the wind good and I've got a physical advantage of being up above him. So no harm done to get to the ridge. When he gets to the ridge, he's not thinking that bull is there on the ridge. And if you're set up there on the ridge, then you might get a shot. So, you know, I always call it the ventriloquist with your calls. You've got to broadcast your calls to a, a place where they aren't really coming from. And if you couple that with with utilizing the train, and there's more than just a ridge, you know, there's there's other train features and ways that you can utilize terrain to take advantage of that. But those are the two primary concepts that I always try to focus on if I'm hunting by myself, specific to trying to call a bull in. Yeah. Well, the reason I picked that question, one, I think it's a good question. It's a very common question, but your university course that is now part of part of outdoor class uh, is, it, it has that, it, it almost has that verbatim of what the question was. So if you want to sign up for outdoor class, use Go to outdoorclass.com, use promo code ELKTALK, and they'll give you 20 bucks off. Because in addition to Corey's University of Elk Hunting, we got Remy doing meal deer. I do rifle elk hunting. You do a bunch of calling stuff. We got Jamie and Hank talking about cooking and wild game uh, meat preparation. And pretty soon, it won't be long, uh, we're going to have John Barclow's course out there. That is, you know, Elk Talk Podcast is also brought to you by the University of Elk Hunting. The University of Elk Hunting was founded by Corey Jacobson. It is now part of the suite of courses out there at OutdoorClass.com. So if you want to sign up for the University of Elk Hunting and save some money, go out to OutdoorClass.com and use Elk Talk as your promo code and you'll get 20% off. But more importantly, you're going to get the University of Elk Hunting you're going to get other courses from Outdoor Class taught by Corey Jacobson, Remy Warren, Randy Newberg, John Barclow, Hank Shaw, Jamie Teagan, and on and on and on. There you have it. Outdoorclass.com will get you the University of Elk Hunting. Just make sure you use promo code ELKTALK and save 20%. Anyone who knows John, he worked as uh, two, probably 20 years teaching special forces uh, a lot of survival and how to thrive in crazy mountain environments. So I'm looking at his chapters. Uh, <laughs> I was going to say, I got a, got a sneak peek with you at the uh, outline for that. And it is yeah. going to be a treasure trove of backcountry hunting information, not just survival, yeah. but a lot yeah. of things. I mean, you get into some of this stuff. Physical and mental training, building strong hunting partnerships, lowering risk in the backcountry, route planning, altitude safety, backcountry weather, backcountry hydration, crisis nutrition, backcountry stoves, backcountry clothing systems, backcountry shelters, <laughs> backcountry sleeping systems. Yeah. Postseason lessons you learn. John's top 10 backcountry prep tips. 16 chapters. Total of 91 minutes of video from John Barclow that's coming out. That course is going to be published here pretty soon. Maybe by the time this podcast drops. So you get all of these at Outdoor Class. And uh, they told me, I thought my pronghorn course was going to drop in February. They're still editing it. It looks like it's going to drop sometime in late March or early April. Um, 
So, yeah, go there, use promo code Elk Talk, save yourself some money. Yeah, and, and uh, all of these, all of these video modules that we've listed, you know, your rifle one and Remy's mule deer one and John's survival backcountry one that's coming out here soon. All of those are in addition to the original entire University of Elk Hunting. So yeah. the University of Elk Hunting, you know, is a huge deep dive into all things elk hunting related. All of that's there. It's not a condensed version. It's not one, you know, video summary of it. The entire course is there in addition to all these other video courses and modules. So it's a, it's quickly becoming a huge, huge learning platform for everything outdoors and hunting related. Yeah. Well, that's, uh, and I, I don't want to discourage people from sending comments and questions and ideas and topics. Uh, they <laughs> help us decide what content we're going to talk about it helps us put them in kind of general categories uh they're super valuable so please keep sending those to elktalkpodcast.com uh or whatever it is i'm gonna write that down someday Corey. i'm gonna <laughs> put like a tattoo on the back of my hand so i remember it but what are we we're coming up uh, on what three years of the elk talk podcast and no Corey, mentioned we're, we're, we are coming up on five years no or four and a half years into it. Oh my goodness! Where does time go? Yeah, man. So, well, yeah. But anyway. <laughs> I was giving you the benefit of the doubt that it's only been coming up on three years. Uh, I can understand why you don't remember the website, but yeah, if it's been almost five years. You have no more excuse, Randy. You need to get that. I know. I need to do that. But please submit your comments, folks. We love them. As you can see, we read them all. Uh, they they drive the direction that the podcast topics go, or at least part of it. And uh, But there are some of them that are, yeah, you know, I'm sure people are like, oh, you guys just want to sell something. No, it's not that we want to sell something. We, we just can't cover all that stuff in the detail level it requires on a podcast. That, that's just a fact. So uh, that's a resource that's out there, outdoorclass.com. Um, yep. So, and uh, for me, it's getting close to banquet season for RMEF. You know, I go and do a lot of banquets for them. Uh, so I hope you become a member of RMEF. Go to rmef.org and uh, put a little bit of your resources towards the future of elk other wildlife their habitat and our hunting heritage i just recited the, the mission <laughs> statement of RMF. uh <clears throat> hopefully you'll do that a uh, great group um creating a lot of access doing a lot of good work conservation and you know habitat improvement all that kind of stuff um and then if, if, have you had time to play with the new feature out there on go hunts uh website the hunt planner i have yeah 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 i have two uh right now in my hunt planner the hunt the hunt i have set up tell what i was doing when it first came out on january 16th i'm looking at the date <laughs> wyoming elk 2023 <laughs> all of my notes all my search criteria all the things i've been considering this year next year past years um so just another added feature out there 
with the Gohan it's like Insider. A, it's like a digital journal that you yep. can put down all your criteria, all your notes. You can add notes. You can do all that. But then you can also click on these individual units or zones or areas and compare, compare them side them. by side. Compare things yeah. like success rates and bull to cow ratios and draw odds. And I mean, it is for you and I yeah. and the spreadsheets we used to have. It takes <laughs> every well, no, and I mean those are powerful. Yeah. Even up until this year, mm-hmm. I still used spreadsheets. But with Hunt mm-hmm. Planner, it basically takes those spreadsheets, digitizes them, puts them in a really clean, easy to see and easy to use digital interface. And then allows you yep. to compare things side by side. I mean, it is, it's slick. Yeah. And Brady Miller, there's a YouTube video out there where Brady, I think it's like 11 or 12 minute video where he walks through how to use Hunt Planner. Uh, yeah. It's, uh, for those of you who nerd out on this stuff like Corey and I do, <laughs> I'm sure you probably, if you haven't used it, uh, you should. If you have used it, you're probably like, oh man, another big time saver here. Uh, and hopefully gets you to the best decision for what you want that year as far as hunts that appeal to you and and kind of fall into your criteria of what you're looking for so go to gohunt.com sign up for insider and again use promo code elk talk and they'll give you 50 dollars of credit in their gear shop and you will have access to that tool And once you draw your elk tag this year, because you studied the odds, you've done all this research on Insider, then you can go use all of the e-scouting tools out there, the terrain analysis tool, the slope tool, the slope orientation tool. So, anyhow. They're going to charge you. I was going to say, when GoHunt came out with their Insider membership, you basically got draw odds and... Mm -hmm. Uh, Some filtering 2.0 and then the article, you know, mm-hmm. strategy articles and everything. Mm-hmm. They haven't increased the cost, but they've added, you've got, you know, mobile <laughs> maps on your phone that becomes yeah. your navigational and, you know, takes your e-scouting yeah. that you've done online into the field with you. They've got the hunt plan. I mean, it's just all of these yeah. resources they keep adding on there uh, and without yeah. increasing the cost. Plus they're giving you $50 in the store to spend on gear so it's yeah i mean when you look at things one trip to the to the mountains to go scouting if you live within a couple hours of the area you plan to hunt it's going to cost you 100 to 150 dollars just in just in gas for a day and you're getting 50 dollars in free gear and all of that it's just there's so many resources now to be able to do things right and to be efficient and effective and it's uh it's exciting to see yeah and the reason we talk about it the reason that that our sponsor of the podcast is because we use it that much (laughs) i I don't know what else to tell people are like oh you just use that because you they're a sponsor no uh because we use it (laughs) yeah and do they still charge you i my credit card got dinged last month again I got dinged last month, too, because I signed up at, uh, I forget which show, but one of the shows, it was in January, and that was a long time ago. First or second year they came out. Yeah. Yeah. I'm still still getting getting charged. Still paying full price. Come on, man. But, oh, well. (laughs) 
That's right, guys. I, uh, yep. but I, I just hope they never start charging me bandwidth or server space for the you're amount of time I spend out there. <laughs> I think you were the number one user a couple of years in a row, if I remember right. Yeah, they they threatened to to send me a bill for their utilities or something down there. I'm like, no, no, don't don't bother. Let me give you Corey's address. Send it to him. <laughs> Oh, uh, but you know, I, my trade show schedule is so busy, Corey. I don't think I'm going to get out wolf hunting this year. I feel what? Bad. I know, man. I know. I've, I, it's, yeah. But so, are you getting out doing any? I have been out. I've got a trap line set. I'm uh, learning oh. a lot more about wolves that I didn't know previously. Mm-hmm. Um, it's amazing how incredibly intelligent they are. And, and I knew that from hunting them, trapping them, yep. they take intelligence to a whole new level. And people have said, yep. you know, if you if you find a dead elk, that's a great place to hunt. Like I always, if I find a dead elk, I know they're going to be coming back and eating on that. So I'll find a spot 300, 400 yards away and just sit and watch that hillside, you know, all morning or all evening hoping they come back and it's been successful. The problem is they make these great big loops. And so it might be four Mm -hmm. days or seven days before they come back to that kill. So trying to time it is, is always tough. Um, Calling them is tough that you want to talk about how hard it is to call an elk. Calling a wolf is like 10 X what it is to, to call a wolf. Well, I thought trapping, that's going to allow the traps to work for me 24 seven when I can't be out there. So, you know, you find a dead elk and put snares or traps around it. And in Idaho, I think you've got to be 30 feet or 60 feet or whatever it is away. I wouldn't want to set traps right next to the carcass anyway. But, you know, you yeah. find these trails that they're using to come in and out of the carcass and set them there. So I found a, a four by five bull elk that they had killed, still a lot of meat on the bones. And in the past, anytime I've done that, I've put a trail camera on it. And every single time, without fail, the wolves have mm-hmm. come back into that carcass. So I've got video of, of the wolves on the carcass. So I thought, all yep. right, got it figured out. I'm putting traps on the trails coming in and out of this carcass. So I did everything I was supposed to do. I boiled these traps. I dipped them. I did you know everything to get mm-hmm. sent. I used rubber gloves setting them out. I set these traps and snares. And then I go back and check them every three days. And the mm-hmm. wolves came back within a day or two of me setting the traps out. And they made a complete loop around that elk, probably 150, 200 yards up on the hill, made a complete loop around it, and they left, and they haven't come back. Hmm. It's like they know there's traps there. Well, yeah. I'm I'm still learning. There's, I thought it was going to be, you know, I know where they come and go. I know how to set traps. Everything's going to be good. But now I've got to figure out how those buggers know that I was there and that I left traps to keep them from going back on that carcass. Wow. Heck, sounds to me like they're in cahoots. They had a a forward (laughs) scout out there watching you. (laughs) I guarantee they're in cahoots. Uh, (laughs) So. I'm, uh, I'm Isaac, my oldest son. He, uh, his birthday is today, actually. Happy birthday, Isaac. Oh, happy uh, birthday. Yeah. He's no longer a teenager. He's turning 20 years old. 
So uh, he's coming down this weekend, and we're going to go out wolf hunting, and uh, we're going to go to an area where there's a lot more wolves than, than what I've been hunting in the last couple of weeks. So I'm excited to go there and and uh, get into some higher populations of wolves and maybe do some scouting for an area to set a trap line there. But speaking of huh. birthdays and kids, we talk yeah. about, you know, the, the cost of hunting and everything. Well, I, I researched a long time ago when Isaac was 10, I looked into what states have hunting opportunities for youth. And, mm -hmm. uh, I found Wyoming and Arizona were very friendly to youth, yep. especially to build points. So yep. when Isaac was 10, I started building points for him in Wyoming and Arizona. And, uh, last year with him being 18, when I put in for him for, uh, Arizona, I realized all of a sudden it's not a $5 youth hunting license that you have to purchase <laughs> nope. to get him a bonus point in Arizona. I had to buy him a $160 hunting license. Yeah. Well, he's turning 20, and so I was prepared for that. So I went in and bought his license and, you know, gulped as I bought my license and his license. And I did those two separately, knowing that we were adults and got us our bonus points. And then I went in to uh, buy Sam and Jesse their $5 youth hunting license and forgot that Jesse turned 18 in December. Yeah. So now it's an adult license for her. So it's... Yeah. Uh, See, the, the, those those states, you know, they're like, well, if Corey puts his kids in for the $5 license and $5 point, when they get to be 18, it's not like he's just going to bail out of here. Yeah, we got it. They him. hook you. They hook you. They got I you. When he was 10, I wasn't thinking ahead 10 years and thinking, oh, this is going to get expensive when he becomes an adult. Uh, and I know everybody listening is like, well, if he's an adult, make him buy his own license. And that's yeah. absolutely on the on the radar here. But uh, that was mm -hmm. his birthday present last year. And I thought, well, that'd be a good birthday present again this year. I'll buy him his license. But Jesse already got her birthday present in December. So we're uh, I need well. to talk to them about the the financial ramifications of becoming an adult, even if they live at home. <laughs> uh, yep. That's kind of what happens. You know, they, they get to decide sooner yeah. or later. Do I but want to, the good news is, is, uh, Isaac has, I believe nine or 10 points in Arizona and Wyoming for elk. And he's got points in, uh, Wyoming for elk and deer and antelope. And all three of my kiddos do so. Yeah. At some well, point here in the near future, I'm going to have uh, some pretty fun hunts to look forward to going on with them. Yeah. Well, that is the fun part of it. And uh, I hope everybody who uh, is interested in doing that with their kids, they realize that there are some ways to at least start out on the cheap. Uh, it might get more expensive, but there's some ways to start out cheaper. Yep. So Absolutely. But... Uh, what else we got, Corey? Man, we have covered just about every rabbit hole. I think we uh, we touched yeah. on. We started in Washington, and somehow we found our way across Idaho and Montana and Wyoming down into Colorado Fair. and the wolves in New Mexico and Arizona. We've touched just about anything you can touch in the West today. Yeah, yeah. No matter where you live, we've probably made you mad. So. <laughs> <laughs> i hope not i hope we've uh, provided a little bit of information maybe some education and hopefully opened eyes yeah. to the importance of being involved and 
not yeah. just sitting well, back idly. Some of the the feedback we get at, like when I was in Washington, I asked, how many of you listen to the Oak Talk podcasts? I could not believe how many people raised their hands. I'm like, man, I'm sorry for all the rabbit holes we go down. And they <laughs> unanimously was like, no, please do the rabbit holes. Those, those are why we listen. Those are, those are the fun pieces. I'm like, all right. So hopefully we don't get too carried away with the rabbit hole tangent stuff. But uh, we're here to hopefully make you laugh and smile, um, give you some truth that sometimes may cause the smile to leave your face for a little while but we always want want people to laugh a little bit and smile uh you know there's enough enough reasons in in everybody's life and in the world of social media to get you mad that's not our goal we want to make you make you laugh and like Corey said hopefully you touch on some things that are important to you give you some ideas and answer a few questions that you might find helpful Yep. At been, least I'm, make it worth the price of admission. That's our goal every time. Yeah. Well, that's what <laughs> I, I, I had a bundle. I had my money clip. I said, anyone who doesn't like it, here, I'll give you your money back. And a couple <laughs> people looked at each other like, are we supposed to be paying for the Elk Talk podcast? <laughs> uh, <laughs> and then they, they're like, wait a second. I'm like, yeah, that's why I give a money back guarantee on my YouTube channel also. If you don't like yep. it, I'll give you your money back. So, yep. And just understand when we, you know, we, we have sponsors that allow Mm -hmm. us to do all of this and provide it for free. And there, there are some shameless plugs for the sponsors, but keep in mind, we don't just, our hands aren't outstretched. Uh, If they are, it's in a handshake formation because we're only going to have sponsors on here that we already use and trust. We aren't out soliciting sponsors. We aren't trying to get a long list of sponsors. We have partners that we believe in and we don't get paid to use their products. We use their products. We believe in it. And if there's a benefit for them to to get their information and product in front of you, the uh, the listener, the the valuable listener that we have, then it's a win for all of us. So yep. if there are shameless yep. plugs for sponsors, please don't look at that as us trying to to uh, push something we don't believe in. We're, uh, we're pushing something we believe in in a way that allows you to hopefully glean something for free in these platforms. And hopefully it's yep. a, a win, win, win for everybody. I hope so. And. You know, there's sometimes people show up on my platform and say, I don't like what you talk about. Well, fine. You know, there's other podcasts, there's other videos, go watch them. You know, I'm yep. I'm not here to tell you I got all the answers. Uh, you know, my job every day is to wake up and prove that I'm the luckiest guy that ever landed on this planet. That's the only <laughs> job I have. So, um, and uh, that's, I truly feel that way. I yep born in the greatest country in the world and here i get to do all this fun stuff at the later years of my life and i'm doing it with a smile so why wouldn't yeah, well, i well with your anniversary coming up and with uh, mm-hmm. valentine's day just around the corner uh, yep. you might have one more job too that that is part of you being the luckiest person that gets to wake up every day. And that's yep. proving to your wife that she's the luckiest person because she has you wow. Well, I always remember what Don Bowman told me just before <laughs> I got married. 
There's nothing I bring to the table that Kim couldn't replace by noon tomorrow. So guess guess where I'm headed to this weekend for four days. The rainy coast of Oregon. Not that I have <laughs> any interest in hanging out at a B&B on the rainy coast of Oregon in February. But my wife has a lot of interest in that, so I'm doing it with a smile. So, Any chance you could squeeze in a little bit of scouting for Roosevelt Elk while you were there? Not a Is chance. that asking too I, much? I, that's asking too much. It's going to be cold and wet and everything else. I ain't, I ain't doing it. So, uh, All right, I, Corey. Uh, I went out and I changed the water filter in our garage today because my wife has had it on a to-do list for me for a long time. Mm-hmm. And that's, man. Uh, man. You're, you're, you're scoring points already that we have so, to yep, yeah like you said so, we don't we don't bring anything they can't replace so i've got to yeah. at least show a little bit of value once in a while yeah yeah i uh a lot of people ask me how i locked out and get such latitude for my hunting and fishing and stuff so i was explaining to the crew kind of a real watershed event in my marriage and it took an hour or two for me to tell the story. But when I was done, they were laughing so hard. They're like, <laughs> we got to record this as a as a shop story. I'm like, really? So <laughs> we just finished up and it's an hour and nine minutes. Oh, I don't know. If any, I don't know if anyone's going to listen for an hour and nine minutes, but I could hear the crew laughing. I'm like, what are you working on? They're like, your shop story. Did this really <laughs> happen to you? I'm like, absolutely. I couldn't make this stuff up. So, uh, yeah, I'll uh, I'll have a testimonial for what the watershed event was in my marriage when I had every reason to go off the rails, but I just bit my tongue, swallowed hard, and said, yes, dear. Yes, dear. And she could see what an what a ridiculous imposition this was on me and our marriage. And after the whole thing went down over the course of, well, 10 years, but really came down to a three-day period, she's like, you know, this this is so beyond the call of being a husband and a son-in-law. Whatever you could ever ask for, it will not be considered outrageous. Did it have to do smart. with your father-in-law? It did. Yeah, you you told us the story last episode yeah. of Elk Talk. Yeah, that's uh, yeah, so that's an understanding anyhow. wife. Yeah, so uh, the uh, yeah that that's a it's a bit of marriage advice, but it's also a bit of hunting advice when that one comes yep. out. I don't know if anyone's going to sit through it. It'll take them three nights to watch it all. But uh, <laughs> anyhow. Yeah, it's it's my anniversary and it's Valentine's Day. It's everything wrapped up this week. So I'm going to be on the rainy coast of Oregon sipping a a big Hank coffee. I bring my own coffee with me when I fly because I'm partial to Elkhorn Coffee Roasters and the big, big Hank brand. And then I'm going to be watching it rain and my wife is going to say, you want to go for a walk in the rain? And that's the last thing I want to do is go walk in the rain. I don't even hunt in the rain. But you know what? I'm going to put my raincoat on my uh, galoshes or whatever you want to call my rubber boots. I'm going to say, where are we going, honey? And I'm, I'm going to have a smile like a ripple on a slop pail, man. I am going to be a happy dude. So. A ripple on a slop pail. Man, there's another yeah. one. 
Well, uh, there's a story behind that one too. We'll get into that in a different time. But uh, perfect. We better let we, we better let them go, Corey, or you're going to be late for your appointment, and I'm going to be late for mine. So that's right. Well, appreciate it, Randy, and uh, we'll catch you guys on the next one. Yeah. Thanks for listening, folks. Appreciate it. Hope y'all have a great day.